Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. I'm just anxious to get started because as anybody uh, who's done something like this before knows, the worst part is the anticipation and the buildup, and you really just want to get rolling. Hello, Nerdcasters. I'm Scott Bland, your host. And here we are. Tonight's the night that Politico is co-hosting a Democratic presidential primary debate with PBS NewsHour. And we're in Los Angeles this week talking to folks involved in the making of the debate. Today we've got Politico reporters Ryan Lizza. What's your favorite color? And Laura Baron Lopez. I always say purple, but it's probably black. (laughs) As well as Tim Alberta. Tim is the chief political correspondent for Politico magazine, who will be moderating on Thursday night. I am going to be co-moderating along with three of the superstars at PBS Judy, this is Judy Woodruff, Amna, Amna Nawaz, and Yamish, Yamish Alcindor, trying to find out who these candidates for president really are and tell us all something new about them after almost a year of watching them on the trail. You know, this is, I, I've covered a handful of presidential campaigns now. Uh, this is certainly a different spot for me to be sitting in because typically I am out on the trail, uh, you know, running between high school gymnasiums and uh, pizza ranch restaurants and, you know, watching them work small crowds and then climbing into the backseat of a car with them for a few minutes if I'm lucky. And, you know, that's the way I have covered campaigns in the past. And this is certainly a little bit of a different situation for me to be uh, under the bright lights. Uh, magazine writers and print journalists in general uh, aren't usually the ones put in this position to be asking questions in front of a nationally televised audience. So I'm just going to try and keep up with the PBS folks and and not screw it up too badly. One big thing about tonight is how we're making this different from other debates. Well, you know, my suggestion was to have a trap door beneath all of the podiums and with like a pool of like snakes and spiders beneath the candidates so that if they dodged any questions, we could just drop them straight down, right? So that we could actually get some straight answers. Um, That suggestion was rejected, unfortunately. But really, how does Tim plan to give us something to get to know who these people running for president really are? We have an opportunity with the holiday season, uh, you know, in front of us here to maybe draw these people out a little bit more as people and find out a little bit more about what makes them tick and how they view the world, how they view themselves, how they view relationships, Uh, you know. These are people who who want to be the most powerful person in the world, obviously. And I think sometimes we can get a little too caught up in, you know, certain policy fights. Obviously, policy is important. We can get really caught up in, you know, the campaign horse race metrics. And, you know, that stuff is important, too. But everything needs to be in balance. And sometimes we all in the media, I think, are a bit guilty of losing perspective as far as, you know, what makes these people want to get out of bed every morning and pursue this job, this really, really hard, really, really stressful, really, really polarizing job. And so if if we do nothing else, my hope is that we can help illuminate these people a little bit more for the audience and add some dimension to their character. And after all that preparation, the weeks and weeks that has gone into this, 
it'll be over in a couple whirlwind hours. And then it's just straight to the bar and and there will not be a tall enough beer in the world for me to drink when this is all said and done. And, you know, thankfully, my wife is coming out to L.A. She's on a flight right now, and she'll be here uh, to be my cheering section and also to be uh, the first person who will be able to, you know, hug when this is all over and raise a glass with and then get the hell out of here and go home and see our kids and celebrate Christmas. Now, Tim, of course, is one of the moderators. He'll be on stage. But Politico has a small army of reporters and editors in Los Angeles for the debate as well. Political reporters Ryan Lizza and Laura Baron-Lopez are there writing stories. We've been planning and working on this debate for what seems like uh, months, but it's probably actually only weeks. Yeah. Laura's story, which you can find on Politico.com, is Democrats in dissension over all-white 2020 frontrunners. This was a rejected headline for your piece by me. You know, <laughs> this is the, the white Christmas debate because everyone on stage now is white ex- with, the, uh, with the notable exception of Andrew Yang. Yes. And it's about this anxiety within the Democratic Party right now about the, these four all-white frontrunners who have emerged at the top of the Democratic primary. And one of the tricky things about unpacking this story and some of the angst around this is that a big part of the reason why the frontrunners are all white is because – Voters of color in the Democratic Party have overwhelmingly so far picked white candidates. Tell us about your your reporting on this in this piece. So what I was trying to get at in this piece is that, yes, uh, Democrats in July had the most diverse uh, stage in history um, where the majority of people on the July debate stage were not white. And then now, uh, five months later, the majority of the stage is white, with the exception of Yang. Uh, and what, if anything, has led to that point? Uh, getting at some deeper questions that I know are that a lot of Democrats who I spoke to for this piece have been asking themselves, which is one: uh, candidates like Booker and Black and Brown Democrats uh, across different states have a bit of a fear about was Barack Obama potentially not just the first person through the White House door, but could he be the only person that makes it through who is not a white man for decades to come? Uh, Which sometimes happens when you're the first. The door shuts behind you and and others aren't able to follow. I thought that was a really interesting part of the piece. And are there other examples in American history where that's been a phenomenon, where someone broke... You know, someone broke through and then there was just a long period of things returning back to, you know, where they were. It, I mean, I, I suppose it happens in the entertainment industry, in business, right? right. There, where there's like a big breakthrough, the CEO of a con- company mm-hmm. or a leading man in a movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of like a, a retrenchment because right. everyone thinks, OK, we've solved that problem. Right. It's a bit of moral licensing, which is that... Uh we elected the first black president so we can justify that we are a progressive country and not racist. Yeah. And then, and then, like you said, there is a retrenchment. There's a backlash to that. And many yeah. Democrats, especially Democrats of color, view Trump as the embodiment of that backlash to Obama. Yeah. Other examples, I mean, one that comes to mind is the abolition of slavery and then Reconstru- uh, right. Reconstruction and uh, right. Jim Crow era. Right. So... Right, we got rid of slavery, so mm-hmm. we don't, you know, everyone doesn't need all these rights. We don't, they're not slaves right. anymore. Uh, yeah, but yeah. other yeah. forms of oppression yeah. that then materialize. And then the second element of the story is 
what's led to this point, which is how did Democrats reach this juncture? And is the Democratic nominating process or key elements of it uh, more favorable to white candidates? Yeah. And so I really in my discussions with Democrats, a number of them do think that things should be changed, which is Iowa and New Hampshire should not go first anymore. Uh, that's the view of a number of House Democrats that I spoke to. Yeah. Um, because Iowa and New Hampshire are 90% white and not reflective of not only the Democratic base, but the country writ large. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not the debate qualifications, you know, actually led to less diverse candidates on the field. Uh, that isn't to say that that the candidates who haven't done well, like Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, um, can place all the blame on the system, because you can't. Kamala Harris did have a flawed campaign. Booker has struggled to gain traction. Yeah. Uh, so it's talking about these multiple things that are true, which is that, yes, black and brown voters appear to be rallying behind uh, two older white men in Biden and in Sanders. But there's also a valid question to be asked about whether or not um, elements of the nominating system should be changed to account for just systemic racism that uh, exists in all structures, uh, politics, but also, like you mentioned, other industries, journalism, uh, technology, everything. And what I what this issue is so fraught for Democrats, because. So much of the way that the Democrats talk about race these days is about systemic discrimination, right, mm-hmm. and institutional discrimination. And that, you know, there was much – that wasn't always the case. There was definitely a time when, you know, some Democrats shied away mm-hmm. from, from talking about that. But if they weren't in this process themselves and they were just watching it from afar – or if, say, the Republicans had a process – you know, they do have the same process, the two early states right. are the same. But imagine the Democrats had – two states early on that were diverse um, and the Republicans had this, you know, lily white process. I think a lot of Democrats would look at this whole system and think, wow, this system is does not is, is does not represent the diversity of, of the right. country. It's systemically uh, flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, Biden and Warren and Buttigieg and Sanders cannot offend the delegate delicate sensibilities mm-hmm. of the caucus goers in Iowa and right. New Hampshire voters. Yeah. So they can't really talk about it, right? Like no, Castro and can't. Booker started talking about it when mm-hmm. they were kind of, you know... When they were, yeah, falling behind. Uh, that's true. Uh, I think that there could be ways for candidates like Warren and Buttigieg to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, talk about it potentially in a future sense, which is that, yes, this is the process right now, and I am here because at the end of the day, you know, I'm the candidate who I think can beat Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, but there's a, an opportunity for them to potentially talk about it forward looking, which is in the future, should we be a party that has a system like this? And again, yeah. you raised a good point, Ryan, which is in the broader scale. Yes. When you compare Democrats to Republicans, um, it's like apples and oranges because the uh, Republican Party has a base that is far more white. That's true. Um, right. Right. And, so it doesn't really and, matter what state they start with. Right. <laughs> it's but, not um, going to be a diverse electorate. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting discussion that Democrats are able to have and Republicans aren't primarily just because Democrats uh, are, as they claim to be a bigger tent party and um, have a more diverse primary electorate. What's the biggest obstacle to changing uh, the system that you discovered in your reporting? Uh, I think it's just any institution uh, is very resistant to change. And Iowa has been at the top for 50 years or so. 
uh, and New Hampshire has a law uh, that says that they are the first primary. Uh, so it's those barriers, whether or not a new DNC chairman or Tom Perez potentially in the future, if he stays on, wants to tackle something like this because the politics of it internally get very difficult. Yeah. And then everyone forgets about it after the right. season's over and they right. move on to bigger, you know, bigger outrages. Right. Uh, now, I have no insight into what's going to be asked tonight, mm-hmm. but I'm really hoping that there is a question about this issue. Um, if there is, what's, you know, what's your sense of where the candidates will, how they'll treat this sort of delicate issue, right? Because they have to, you know, <laughs> straddle between like not offending Iowa and New Hampshire, right. but, you know, recognizing that this is, a, 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 this is serious. Uh, I also have no insight into the questions that are going to be asked, but I think that uh, they would probably take the easy way out just given how close we are to Iowa, um, how close they are to both Iowa and New Hampshire in early February. Uh, And so they... And right now in polls, like the field is all very close, like bunched up together at the top of the polls. So they're really just... Any little thing that could potentially upset voters, yeah. uh, they don't want to do and they don't want to touch. Um, but there's no so there's really no incentive to go full on against Iowa. Or no, in previous cycles there any, have been. Yeah, you talk to any uh, Democrat, even the ones who think that it should change. You yeah. know, even I talked to some House Democrats that are supporters of Biden, and they think that that Iowa and New Hampshire should no longer go first. But they would not advise Biden to uh, be talking uh, about this and uh, at all. All right, uh, Laura, thank you. Uh, for, for listeners, the two of us will be doing um, some coverage with PBS. That's right. Right, before, during, and after the debate. Uh, so we'll so uh, tune in and watch our brilliant analysis. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Nerdcast. Tonight, it'll all be over. All those months of preparation, poof, debate will be done. But that means tomorrow we get to bring you our normal Nerdcast episode, picking apart a moment from the debate. And also in the next segment, talking about what's next in impeachment coming around the corner in 2020. Our producers this week are Jenny Ament and Annie Reese. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. And you, our audience, we will see you again tomorrow.